Hi there, I'm Mel Drago and welcome to Chats in the Hub, a podcast for the Paraplanner Hub community. In today's chat, we're going to chat with Alasdair Barr from Striver, who's going to discuss careers, pathways, development, building your resume and how to polish up your LinkedIn profile. So thanks, Alasdair, for coming here today. No sweat at all, Mel. I'm really happy to be here. Before we get started, uh, I found this is really interesting for people to find out how you got started in your career and we ended up, and I know you mentioned that you were a power planner previously. So could you give us a bit of a brief uh, overview of how you started and your career in power planning? Yeah, I'd love to, but if I do, it just will explain how old I am. So, <laughs> but yeah, look, I, um, I started off with a marketing degree, couldn't get a job, you know, was washing cars at Volvo, decided to enroll in something called the Securities Institute at the time and something called F for Financial Planning because finance was the only thing in my degree that I did well and I wasn't happy, you know, washing cars with a, with a degree. <laughs> and that day I sort of went and I wrote 12 letters to 12 companies for, uh, that had, you know, F for Financial Planning in the Yellow Pages ad and said, look, maybe make up the tea for you for a couple of weeks, just uh, give me a go. So I started, and this is in WA in Perth, in a small firm in South Perth and they gave me a job and worked there for 12 months just being a bit of everything really but paraplaning was kind of part of that everything yeah and then I then went on a bit of a recce to Melbourne and Sydney applying for jobs and I ended up getting one on a two-week holiday in Sydney so I packed up drove my car across 3,956 kilometers to Sydney and sold us when I was homesick and started working in a small firm in O'Connell Street in Sydney my role was to answer the phone on Monday morning the, the head honcho was doing um, radio on the weekend and so there'd be all these phone calls coming on Monday morning and mine was to sort of direct those phone calls mm-hmm. organize some um, seminars and also writing some strategies so that was the power of planning and then after sort of 18 months there I got offered a job a, a few times um, this is about 2002 uh, and I eventually said yes to going working with Compact Combank and I didn't want to go in there but um, I sort of had to, and um, I went into their power planning unit, and so um, that was kind of that was the start, and, and and ended up in a big bank, going there for six months, ended up there for nine and a half years. Oh well, and from mm-hmm. there, did you develop your uh, company Striver, or it was wasn't Striver then though, was it? No, so that was so this was in two thousand and two. So I went to come bank for six months and then I ended up being there for nine and a half years and I went from power planning for 18 months and then I ended up working in country New South Wales working for the head of the retail bank where financial planning was sort of still sitting in about 2004 or something Um, and then managing that business for them then I went off to look after sales for our third-party mortgage business at Combank so everything that was sold through Mortgage brokers, I looked after that for about 18 months and then went back to Colonial First State and set up a franchise business for them inside of Commonwealth Financial Planning called Pathways. Ran that for about four years. And then, yeah, then I left the bank. I wrote my MBA on financial literacy and how to improve it in Australia without selling products. Mm-hmm. And then went and set up a social enterprise where we did workplace health and wellbeing programs around financial literacy and ended up... I was in Combank for nine and a half years and then I was wearing a pair of Blundstones and taking the fishing rods to the Pilbara every week for about eight weeks and, and doing, you know, Indigenous workplace ready programs for Fortescue Metal. So there was a fair bit of a change. Yeah. I was commuting from Sydney to Perth, Perth to Port Hedland, Caratha, and then from Port Hedland back to Perth, back to Sydney. And I did that eight weeks in a row. Sorry. Um, Sorry. 
Yeah, it was great though. It was yeah. great. I was, I was still young. <laughs> and, then, um, <laughs> and then sort of, and Striver, which was grad mentor seven months ago, sort of evolved out of, you know, when I left the bank, a lot of my mates ended up in other sort of dealer groups and places and, and their thing was always like, how did you find good talent for the businesses that you looked after? Yeah. And we didn't do that well. Yep. So I sort of carved out a niche and working with universities around finding young people coming out of university looking for a start in the profession and a lot of small to medium enterprises looking for great people strategies but didn't know how to go about it. So I sort of fixed that match and for about six years sort of ran speed networking events and I think we placed up to about 400 students into, into great businesses all across Australia. Amazing. That sort of six years, yeah, and had a great fun doing it and you know, um, working with great businesses and great young people who are now my clients, you know, six years in, they're running businesses, they've got equity in businesses, they've wow. done all sorts of things. And Striver was the evolution of that, you know, like with a perfect storm in education and all those sort of things, there was no time like, you know, two years ago, 18 months ago to sort of start thinking about raising some money and turning the business digital, which we did when we launched in uh, September 19. All the good things from grad mentors still there, yep. but using technology to make it better. That's unreal. So you've come from a very robust financial planning career, so you understand the industry, which is yeah. really good to hear. So you were talking about pathways, which is quite interesting. So you, <laughs> you've been involved in that, with that a lot, and especially at CBA, and obviously there's a gap there, I think, and this is becoming more prevalent because different roles in industry are now becoming more outsourced. Um, we're not seeing more in-house training sort of facilitation happening so how do you think this has affected the pathways for careers in financial planning and, and how how do you think we can solve that i think my i evolve my thinking about this every day so yeah i think the reason why you probably say that holistically as a profession is that because all the big organizations are pulling out so that typical career path for a large organization in accounting you go through deloitte's or whatever but you know in in with all the banks there you go okay i'll go into a grad program and away we go and that's sort of like the traditional route. Now that all the banks are pulling out, like the big organisations are pulling out of hiring people in accounting, you find that there's not those clear paths. So, and then you've got a lot of fragmented businesses and financial planning who are running great businesses, but they don't know how to go about, you know, engaging young people in the profession. Mm-hmm. So I think it's there. It's just about where the people meet the practice, really. I just yeah. coined it then. Uh, to give that pathway. There's a plenty of opportunities. I was having a um, conversation just this morning with my accountant, right? We're doing some stuff in the accounting industry or looking at that. And he said like, there was this race of technology and outsourcing and accounting where they, where everything was outsourced, everything was zeroed, everything was kind of technology, technology, technology. And now those businesses are as efficient as they possibly can. Yeah. And now they're going back to bringing people in to grow them. Right. So, um, Matt Heiner from NetWell says this a lot and I've sort of stolen off them, but at least I referenced them here, is that it used to be man against machine and now sort of man against man with machine. And when the businesses get really efficient, they're going to need people, right? And I don't think the complex strategies are going to be able to be done by technology. And and so, you know, I think back even in my days when I was in the power planning, I loved having a relationship with an advisor and the advisor liked having a relationship with me because we could work together and, you know, I spoke their language and I got the technical stuff put together for them. So simple stuff, sure. But I'm sure a lot of the listeners don't want to be doing the simple super rollovers of insurance. They want to be doing more complex stuff. Meaty stuff, yeah. Yeah, 
there's going to be a heap of demand for that. And, and businesses do not know where to find them, how to find the right ones. And as with the, with the people listening here, like where's the right business? You, like your listeners have more, more opportunity than the other way around. So the trick is, how do we actually find the right home for your people? Because, you know, if there is going to be demand, then let's make sure that we pick the right role and, and, and get it aligned and make sure that it's an enjoyable outcome. Because I think the technical stuff, uh, it's pretty hard to automate. That, oh, I agree. And so with the pathways, you find the person that's going to be in the right business to help them progress to a career that they want. So some power planners probably don't necessarily want to be planners, but they want to be in other parts of the industry or compliance and yeah. stuff. Can you help with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Look, yeah. And our, our firms, like the interesting thing around financial planning and accounting and medicine and law, like you need to have that specific degree to go and be the practitioner in it. Yep. But if you're like, you know, I don't know, superannuation or something where that degree is not important, like they'll take engineers, actuaries, maths, whatever, you know, scientists into these roles. So, Mm. Um, and what I'm, why I'm sort of saying that is unless you're going to go down the track of being that front-end advisor and an authorised representative under an Australian financial services licence, mm. then there's so many other opportunities now. Businesses need um, great people with you know, technology expertise. They need um, strategy expertise. They need marketing expertise. These businesses are growing. And what happened is, you know, you see big banks pull out. Small businesses go, we merge, we need to get to critical mass. So you're going to find this group of businesses, which are going to be quite, you know, 50 to 100 people businesses, and they want people in them. Yep. And so if you're not a, you know, career planner and so forth, then that doesn't matter because there's got to be a lot of support to make these businesses roll. And, and I always sort of think around Facebook and you go, oh, there's, you know, is that a one-person business? Like, Facebook no. hundreds of thousands of people. So even though they're a technology firm, there's still people that are needed to make that engine roll. Yeah, exactly. I, I hear that a lot that just recently actually I was talking to someone, they thought paraplanners might be replaced with computers in the future. But I would agree with you, Alice. I find it very hard to believe some of the strategies are very complex and they need personalization. And it's going to take a very hefty algorithm to be able to do that without well, people. Yeah, <laughs> just that whole... Um, the variedness of human beings, you know, there's yeah. split relationships, there's split parents, there's complex inheritances, mm. you know, there's, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there was another comment on this, which is really important too, um, mm. is that uh, I, somebody the other day was saying, oh, we should all, you know, give up and become coders of the jobs of the future, right? Yeah, um, you know, all this coding stuff. But I reckon if the smartest people in the world are writing codes to automate processes, they're going to automate themselves out, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I would say that's the least safe place to be. You need, um, you need that knowledge in order to code it because there's people coding that, those computers, right, that technology. So you're going to have to understand financial planning very well in order to do those algorithms. And that's something that's important too to understand. You can't just be a coder. You need to understand financial planning. So study, obviously study is massive at the moment. All the planners, are, most of them are going back to study in order to um, meet their FASIA requirements. So mm. as a person starting out in the industry who maybe he's either just got a degree or needs to do further study, what do you think is the best way to make that decision of what to study? And then with that professional development as well, how do you coach people in that aspect? Yeah, so I mean, we have people that come into the, uh, that are working with us who have approved degrees and some people who have relevant degrees. 
And, you know, if they're coming through in a relevant degree, they go, they can come through and do the further education requirements as a career changer and that fascia part. Mm-hmm. And so the people that we work with haven't yet got a job. So I tend to say, hold your horses before you go and do a further study and get yourself a job, work with that licensee to work out what you need. But, you know, unless you're going to become a fully fledged frontline financial advisor, I would work with the business on what your education requirements can be. You know, get technically competent. There's some great resources out there about getting technically competent. If you're really clear that you want to be a frontline advisor, you know, run as hard as you can at that. There's lots of, all the universities are doing further education and so forth. And they'll do a gap analysis with you as other online ones. I'm not going to mention any, but there's lots of resources out there. But I would also, if you're looking at getting into the, the place, before you go running down the track of filling out your CV with education, my advice always is get your feet under the desk and work out what your employer wants, what they need, what they legally require, and then follow that up. So I think education, the irrelevant and approved degree are really, really important. Get them done. You don't get a seat at the table until they're done anymore. So, you know, if you've got an accounting degree, you don't get to the table unless you have that relevant degree. If you've got a financial planning degree, that's cool as well. And then once you're in with your um, employer, they're gonna have requirements under their licensing. Everyone's a little bit different. It's all aligned to what FASI is saying, but I would get my feet on the desk in the role before going and sort of investing in education. What I do find sometimes is people get over-educated and underemployable. Yes, agree. So be educated, employed, and then become even further employed with further education. Yep, that's some great tips. So how about the professional year? You know how there's this year you have to do where you're not really authorised, but you have to complete it now in order to... Yeah, apparently at last count there were four people registered. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I'm like, whoa. I thought I was expecting 200 when I heard that figure. Four. Yeah, so how do you... I have an opinion on that. (laughs) Yep. Well, so, okay, so is your question, what is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Or how's it unfolding? Or is it all of the above? Maybe explain, for those that may not have know, understand what that is, explain what it is. And then how do you think we can achieve that professional year in this environment where you're not really earning a revenue stream for that planner yet? So, okay, um, without getting all the technical words right and stuff, because there's sort of, and I should have had that in front of me, so I'm using the right words. But basically, now, you need, before you can become a fully-fledged financial planner, you must do a 12-month professional year. Obviously, it's 12 months as a professional year. And through that, there's a certain sort of learning outcomes and ethics and so forth that you need to do. And they need to be supervised with a approved supervisor or mentor. Mm-hmm. And so, so that'll be 12 months before you're given your, your ticket. And, and in there, you're, uh, I think maybe it's called a provisional financial advisor or something like this, where you can sit in on clients, but you can't give full advice and I think that is brilliant like really it's brilliant I think people coming into the profession giving structure around you know making sure that they've got you know they're off their L plates or they do their P plates and they just think about it like that like every industry's got it you know the registrar as a doctor and so forth it's really important it's great um, not there hasn't been a full run into that how I see it practically playing out which kind of leads to your question Mel is how would a business justify? Well, a business has to do it. And so when I hear businesses say, oh, it's, you know, I don't know about that. Like, they're yeah. businesses that I wouldn't go and work with, right? Okay. If I would do Because if the business doesn't like the idea of training and developing people to, to being good at their job, then yeah. 
alarm bell should ring. So mm. one, you, the business that you want to go work for should be embracing the fact that there's going to be a 12-month period before they let you in front of their clients. Now, in my experience, because we traditionally work with people coming out of undergraduates, whether they you know, 21 or 26 or whatever, we do work with a lot of career changes and mature, more mature people. I could be wrong, but in that one there, most of our clients who are forward-thinking, invest in people and want to be around and don't just give phone books to people on a telephone, <laughs> they say, well, this is going to be a three-year journey before we're going to unleash you as a fully-fledged advisor. It's going to be a three- to five-year journey and we will invest in you in that time. And if that's the case, call it three years, right? Yeah. Then the business is going to invest in that individual and the, after the individual has invested a couple of years with that business, so, and then T minus one, a year before that the fully-fledged advisor roles there they're going to start professional year which means there's two years right so before the business invests in the individual then the individual is going to have to invest in the business for a couple of years and in that opportunity of growing people into the business um, before a business invests in you before you invest in the business because at the end of the day if you're 22 or 23 or 26 or whatever and you go and spend and then you get put into a firm who says, we're going to invest all this time, effort, money into you for 12 months and halfway through it, you go, I don't really like you culturally. Mm. Then you might feel a little bit bad for walking away. But after two years of really understanding the business, being part of the culture and stuff, and you go, I love this firm. Yeah. And they go, right, we're going to take them a journey to becoming an advisor in this business. And then that's when the investment works. Without the numbers, that's practically how it's going to play out. And if you look at the numbers, I think that is exactly what's happening. So there's only four in in the professional year or whatever it is at the last count. Yep. But we are putting lots of people into businesses. So there's a lot of people in customer service and admin and so forth at the beginning. With the banks pulling out of advice and things like that, there were a lot of advisors in the market and, the, and post-professional year that they're all working through that now. So the dust will settle over there. And once that's all settled, there'll be this group of people that are now two years in businesses who will then start bouncing through the professional year. I think that's how it's going to unfold. That's interesting. I like that aspect um, but my, my, my number one thing around people going and spending 12 months in administration if you're entering into this profession and whether you want to be a paraplanner or you want to be an advisor if you are the best in the world at getting or understanding the underwriting process of zurich or aia or tal or any of the super funds or whatever it might be if you're the best in the world at that you're marketable so if you're yeah. going to go in there and be, and then it's going to help your power planning and it's going to help your advising, it's going to help all those things. So think of them as building blocks into your future. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of admin you have to do as a planner, the file noting, record keeping, all that sort of stuff is just as important as giving the advice. And I think it's a very good point. You should understand the implementation process, all that sort of stuff will really help your career in financial planning or power planning. Very interesting to hear about the professional year because I often wonder how that's going to work out and I really see what you're saying makes sense. We're talking about employers though. When you're placing someone in employment, what do you think the employers go for? What qualities do you look for that you think your employers would value? Qualifications that you've already spoken about are obviously important. How about experience? Do they look for experience? Any tips on what you think you should prepare for when you're going to be placed? So... I, what we look for is kind of in line with what our clients generally look for. Like some are really different. Like So this morning I um, had a client, very big third tier accounting firm, maybe. Yeah. And the first thing they asked for is academic transcript. 
that's important to them. And large organisations, that might be really important. But our, most of our clients are small to medium, five to 50 man, five to 100 man bands. And what I look for, and students really struggle with me when I say this, I say, oh, I like ability. People want to work with people they like. And that's really important, especially in small mm. businesses. If, you know, so that's the first thing. But yep. when it comes to like the secret source, what I look for is one, always had a job. Two, I like people that have worked in family businesses or from the country. Mm. Um, so the reason why I like those two things, one, family business, a lot of, as I said, a lot of our clients are small businesses, quite often the people in the business are the main equity owners in the business and they treat it like their own baby, right? Yeah. So, so when people go into those businesses and won't pick up the phone or feel above doing things or hierarchical, that's a problem. So they want to be, them to be able to work in a flat structure. And, um, and the, the, country, the country stuff is all about um, humility and community and making sure that, you know, you take care of everybody else in your community. So employability, so always had a job. And I think jobs like ones that test people on teamwork and tons of people test people on stressful time management issues and on customer service, right? Those are kind of the key. Always had a job, customer service, team, and time management. So like when students go through and fill out profiles, we ask them specifically where they worked and then we match it into like, is it retail, is it hospitality, is it call centre, is it technical and so forth. And then even if you want to be in strategy and you don't really like people and you don't really need sunlight and you just want to work in front of a computer, you still need to be a part of a team. You need to mm-hmm. therefore understand your role in that team and you know, letting people down and so forth. So those are really important things. And I think, that's, and that sort of also creates that likability thing, you know, like people who've got some experience kind of know the world a bit. So I think as long as no educators listen to this, I think the education is so important, but yes. the education gets you to the game. Yep. What gets you the job is the thing that differentiates you and that's your ability to articulate yourself, eyeball someone, be likable. This is all developed through demonstrating your work ethic, which is work authenticity do you oh sorry yeah, this one. <laughs> I, I think that's quite important being yeah, authentic. Did, you, did you um did we talk about this already because it's no i, I, I totally i find when someone's feels fake to me and and that's quite off-putting when i'm trying to employ someone so i love authenticity even if they're a bit out there to me that's so important to be their true selves the reason I said that, it was my word of 2019. It will be my word, word of the rest of my life. But, um, because when, like, we do a lot of coaching, and uh, that's my favourite part of what I do is sitting one-on-one with some, you know, a, a student trying to work out what they want to be when they grow up because I like thinking that I don't know what I want to be when I grow up either. But, and then the minute, you know, the minute they tell me something that they think I want them to hear, I go, yeah. this, this conversation's painful. Can we please redo it and just tell me what you really think? Because yeah. if you tell me something that you think that I want to know, I, I do I do a thousand of them a year, right? So I can just see straight through it. I said, the minute you let your guard down and tell me what you really feel and really think, the conversation flows better. Yes. Not only that, you don't have to wear a mask all your life. Wearing a mask is tiring. Oh, draining. And I saw <laughs> in corporate, I've, I've saw that so often. And just, it was such a breath of fresh air to meet someone who was a bit real. And I was like, oh, finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, so, yeah, can we, so let's reset. Number yes. one thing, be authentic. Because, therefore, when you're into a firm and you've been authentic, 
then you don't have to keep up the game. Just just be yourself. Everybody's yeah. got a story. Your story is your story. Enjoy it and own it. Yeah, agree. Agree. So talking about being authentic, and I'm going to segue into meeting people and showing your true self. Networking can be hard to be a true self. You've got to put on your brand. But do, do you think networking is worth it? Do you have tips for people who go out networking? Have you realised any benefits from networking? Obviously, me and you have networked together. What are your thoughts about networking and all these little get-togethers and things like that that you see at all these conferences? I'm going to tell people what they don't want to hear. And it's, I mean, everything that happens in our business is because of networking. That's because of the people I know. So so it's really, really important. But I know it's really daunting. and, And believe me, like, I'll go to a conference and I find myself sort of sipping on my tea going, I feel like I want to go. I just want to get out of here. So I get that. I completely get it. And, you know, I've been around long enough and I think I've got enough sort of ability to go and work that room. So the first thing is they're important and you need to force yourself into them. And I'm naturally introverted, but I have to act as an extrovert to get the business going. And so I have to force myself into it. So a couple of tips is set yourself a target of how many conversations not like i need to get this outcome or anything like that don't go in there so i want to have this many conversations with people i've never had a conversation about bundle yourself up a question that is not boring so don't ask people how's the coronavirus what do you think oh that's good (laughs) honestly roll with something different right if you are If, if people come in and they say, hi, my name's um, Mel, hi, Alistair, because I can see my name tag, what do you do? I go, oh. <laughs> I, I will, <laughs> yeah, no. well, I'm going to get another coffee. Oh, those rolls look really nice. See ya. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but if you came up to me and said, hi, I'm Mel, nice to meet Alistair, what do you do for fun? <laughs> Bang, we're away. I go, radio, seriously? And we go, right? And because all of a sudden you've got me talking about. So the trick I reckon is, um, this is like How to Win Friends and Influence People 101, you know, Dale Carnegie's book? Yes. Um, if no one's read that, quote that in the, the list because you can, you know, get the high-level tips. But ask people about themselves. Everybody loves talking about themselves. Yeah. So if you got um, – so my number one question when I meet a student is, um, or a candidate is, what do you do for fun? That one, people – it throws them every time, but they love talking about it. I like to fire 12. Okay, tell us about that. And if it's not fire 12 and I like to travel, I like to travel, where do you travel? I like to ski, I like to ski, where do you ski? And then the conversation flows and it's natural and it's authentic. Mm, Um, If you ask me what do I do, I go, uh, I have the pitch, I can give it to you, but gee, it bores me if I have to keep telling you. So I think set yourself a target, ask something a little bit, not what people are expecting and to get them talking about themselves. I like it. And then, all right, you've made a contact with someone. You've yep. hit it up a bit. How do you take, obviously, you've made that conversation and you want to get something out of it, whether it be some sort of mentoring or you want to get a job there or whatever it is. How do you sort of grab their contact? Do you make contact straight after or what, what's your tips for progressing that conversation along? So LinkedIn is a beautiful thing. I've yep. been an early adopter of LinkedIn. And so anybody who's listening, you know, hook me up on LinkedIn. Um, that's a really good thing uh, so like asking for a business card in fact i haven't had a business card since i changed grade mentor we got some delivered today only because i need them for this thing coming up i don't like business cards um no. because i just i find that like, if, I, if, if i've got your contact on linkedin i can throw your business card out because i the business card's gonna um expire but 
your role's going to keep moving. So yes, um, I think LinkedIn's a really important one. And so you don't necessarily have to say, hey, can I have your business card? And then that's kind of like, a, oh, what are you going to do with it? I know when you're calling me, da 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 yeah. You can just you can just go right. I met Alice there, and then you can follow up. So you can in that conversation you can say, "Hey, I'd love to come and chat to you one day about you know how to get a role in your organisation, or what do you think I should do around that." You, if you feel comfortable doing that, otherwise, what you do is you follow that that day or the next forty eight hours, you go and you find Alistair Barr on social or on LinkedIn, and you send him a note, and the note says something like, "Hi, Alistair, I met you at the." FBA careers night on Tuesday, yep. and then I'd like to be a friend, or I'd like to you know, keep, in, or I'd like to add you as a connection and connect. So that does a couple of things. One, now I go, oh yeah, cool. We met, we spoke, and if we've met, we spoke, then it's a deal, right? We can we can be friends. Um, that's kind of my mantra. I'm a bit, little bit. As long as I can see the connection, I'll say yes. If people are kind of asking me randomly, I say no. But if I can see how like they come through this net, this podcast or whatever, I'll go yeah, sure. But that also keeps you an audit trail. When you meet me two years down the track and you go, oh, I remember that bloke. How do I remember? And you go and you find me and you go, oh, I met him at the FBA careers night because you can I've see the I've done that. Yeah. And you can roll up to me and you say, hey, Alistair, I met you two years ago at the FBA careers night and you said this. What do you reckon? And I'm going to sit there and go, oh, my God, who is this person? That's amazing. You know what I mean? Yep, and you st and also I like that idea, LinkedIn, because you can see what they're doing, and you that you pop up all the time because you're friends now. So um, it just. So keeps... I know. I think you want to ask me about LinkedIn. Don't you? I am. I'm going to ask you about LinkedIn, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> so wanna, before we go to that, um, actually, should we talk Let's about LinkedIn? Let's switch yeah, it around. Let's talk about LinkedIn. So yeah, I find it good that I've met someone and they keep popping up or I see their comments, and it's sort of a little reminder who they are. Otherwise, you get a business card, I throw in my handbag, and then later on I'm thinking, who is this guy that I got my business card off? Weird. You just forget who they are. So, um, yeah, so if you get a business card, put them on LinkedIn. The minute they accept, you throw the business card out. Yep. Or no, recycle it. You know? Yep. Um, <laughs> so that's my first rule. And the second rule is like, so with our business, you know, we invest time, effort, and energy in Facebook and Instagram, right? Please, everybody go and like Striver.careers. Um, <laughs> And, and that's kind of like a business thing where we actively invest. We have people working it. We, I'm constantly out there getting content for it. It's kind of, and I re reckon that people go LinkedIn's the same thing. To me, what I've done with LinkedIn personally, not my business one, the business one we kind of sort of think a little bit differently, but, but the personal one is the authentic, um, authentic brand, right? That's your brand. Mm. So think about that as your personal brand. And everybody listening should have that. If you're not running companies and things like that, don't worry about the rest of it. Just focus. And you don't need to post stuff. You yes. don't need to post stuff to have a good active profile on there. You need to have good people around you, connect with the right people, understand how the networking of it works. Make sure you've got a good photo in there. Follow some great communities. Um, if you want to post something, you know, so I, I never really post, used to post anything. I occasionally I promote events relevant. But I started a few years ago or two years ago, I wore Kokoda. With um, and I was doing a fundraiser, right? And I didn't want to keep asking people for money. I just didn't want to. I just felt awkward with it. So, I, on a weekend, I would be doing training. I was walking twenty-five kilometers on a Saturday or something like that. And I would just post a couple of photos and say, "Hey, look, this is in preparation for Dakota. I'm raising money for Black Dog Institute. It's an important cause. And here's here's my map of my run and a photo of the, the destination. And that was it. 
And that got a really good following because it was authentic. It was real. People were connecting to it. It wasn't me, you know, out at a party or a dinner with a friend. It was something that was kind of connected to industry, showed my authenticity, had verbs, and the following, boom, 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 boom. And I think when I posted a photo of me getting back from Kokoda, it had 36,000 views. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that was just the... Or nothing but authenticity. And so that was, and, and I, I don't post much since then, you know, rebranding our business and things like that. But I'm not a really active poster on LinkedIn. But when I post, people connect with it. And so I think that's a really important thing. You know, you, just, you see people who change their job title or things like that. People jump in and say, well done. Yes. That gets more activity than you going, um, hey, I wrote this forum or whatever, like, or here's an article that I wrote or a blog I wrote. That's, that, that drives people. It's hard to do Easy. and it's hard, hard to get those big, um, big engagement with. I like how you are playing on this authenticity thing because I think it's really important. When you're saying you write authentic posts, I find it sometimes, especially in big businesses, they want to put posts out about you or you want to put a post out there. How do you keep it authentic without sounding ugh, tacky and like you're putting out a LinkedIn profile for likes. Like, is there any tips you can give? Um, yeah, so I think one, um, be in it, post it yourself. People, I mean, I, I bet, I bet a lot of the people listening to this are younger than me, so who am I to tell them? But um, with social media, like people don't follow businesses, they follow people, right? Yeah. It's that community, it's the connection. If I post something and say, hey, we've got this speed networking event, come and get a job, mm. yeah. Right. If I Whatever. put a photo of myself, mm-hmm. like, and I don't like putting photos of myself on in the internet, like, I don't need to, but if there's a photo of me as someone else and I kind of go, it's okay, because they're never great, that it's okay. I'll, well, actually, I never post them like that. But if there's ever <laughs> a post that's got me in, the, in it and people are connecting to it, it just hits, it's just more, it's just, it just does really? better and it's not it's not because I take great photos, it's just because it's connected to the human. Yes, I like that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think I think that's the thing. Like, you know, like you watch people who are posting actively for businesses and it gets like the person posting, when they post from themselves, they get way more engagement than when they post on behalf of their business. So you can go and see my Striver LinkedIn profile mm. and it might have this, you know content that comes in it but you go and look at my personal profile i rarely post on it when i post it gets that big that's good i would engage with something that's more human than make sure you have a photo on your linkedin profile or yes with... a recent photo <laughs> i had a oh, really yeah. nice one i had to change it i had blonde hair i was like oh i'm gonna change it now <laughs> when i was 21 <laughs> yeah only last year yeah that's bad um Steve, uh, the question I was going to ask before, which we skipped, um, but I'll come back to, is about resumes and CVs. So you would probably see a few, I would imagine, in your career. Um, yeah. So give us some quick tips or things that people yeah. should concentrate on when they're putting together their resume. Two pages. I've been in the industry for 20 years. Wow. I can get mine on two pages, so can you. If I'm looking at a CV and it's on two pages, 50% of it, is what you've done for work, paid work. That's what I care about. Your degrees, your degree, I'm gonna check to make sure you got that. I'm going straight on to see what that you've always been employed. Yep. Don't put anything on a CV that doesn't add value. No pictures, no don't put photos of yourself on your CV. You must have it on LinkedIn. Don't put a photo of yourself on CV. <laughs> and banners and borders and perfume and all that stuff. No need. Because 
a CV's got to explain and justify you when um, you're not there to explain and justify yourself. And there's two types of people that read your CV. There's a hiring manager that does care about you, what your dog's name is, what you like to do and where you like to travel. And then there's like a recruitment agent or an HR division or something like that. And they've got a thousand CVs and their job with a thousand CVs to narrow it down to 10 to give to the hiring manager. The hiring manager wants to like you, the recruitment manager wants to not like you. So if it was a thousand CVs and my job was to shortlist it to 10, I would spend how many, how long on each CV, Mel? Uh, two minutes three seconds would be a day i'm busy i want it done by lunchtime so i've got one and a half seconds per cv right wow so, so i'm no 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 yes no 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 yes no and so you put a photo and then you got one hair out of your place or your beard or your face tattoo or your earring or or your hair or whatever it does i don't like you're out of the bin because i'm looking for a reason not to like you yeah same with that board don't make it tough for me to find what i want to find this is an extreme case right and which brings me into the next question and I'd love to answer it. People say, I do want a cover letter. Do you put a cover letter on now? I do every time, but I make it more relevant to why I'm seeking that role. So if I'm giving you one and a half seconds and my name's Alistair spelled with a D and you guys worked out how old I'm already, I spent every single one of those years telling you it's a D, not a T, and you spell it with a T in the second letter. You've <laughs> saved me a second. I've got rid of you in half a second because your attention to details out. Shit. I've seen attention to detail and then the next sentence spelling mistakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Just don't put it in there, attention to detail, unless you've truly uh, got attention yeah, to You're bound to fall on your sword there. Yeah. So, I don't know. These are, these are things. But, yeah, two pages, show us what you've done. Someone. A recruiter once told me to put, she said, that's good that you told me what your role is. I want to know what you did in your role, what achievements you did like what projects did you finish rather than going, I did project management, I did this and that. So it gives a yep. bit of, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, so like a recruiter might be getting you to the 10, so where people are going to read more about your CV. Yeah, right. Um, so like if you're, if you're just applying online or something like that, short and sharp, give us, a, give us the framework so we know where to go. But if you're actually now sitting in front of somebody who's going to employ you, yeah, sure, gives, gives a bit more meat. But yeah, I want to know, where you work, what your job was, the dates that you worked, and then what you actually did in that. In that job. Yeah, so some people will carve skills out and put in a separate section of a CV, but um, some people will un roll it up under each job. But I want to know um, yeah, what the job like. So you might say McDonald's, um, burger artist, and these dates. Okay, so I you know, um, maintain sanity and um, sanitation and cleanliness in the restaurant. I cook 48,000 hamburgers a minute. I, you know, quality control this and had responsibility for handling money, whatever. Like, tell us exactly what you did. Yep. And, um, and what, what things do you hate seeing? In, like, I always see stuff like I'm proficient in Microsoft Word. And I'm like, if you're not proficient with Microsoft Word, well, you can get out of here because who is it? Is it things that you see that you just so cliche that you would say, do not put this in the resume? Yeah, like I don't need to, if you're applying for a job in the professional thing, I don't need to know that you can work on weekends. I don't know, need to know that you got a driver's license. I probably don't need to know that you've got RSA. Yep. Um, because like quite often I get people who've been, you know, putting that around the pubs, trying to get a job by the university. And then all of a sudden I'm getting, I'm saying, come on guys, like when are we going to step up? Yeah. The second, the second thing is like, a CV is a, is, a, is a summary, right? So 
underneath your title and your name and address. And don't give me three phone numbers to contact you. I'll give you one way to contact you. Uh, yeah, don't make me try and work out the best way because I don't have time. One email address, one phone number. Yep. Um, then underneath that title section, there's a written section that I like to see. People write personal summary. Mm. You're already on two pages. Dude, how, much, how much more do you want to summarize yourself? <laughs> Stop summarizing yourself. So tell me in those first three lines, a career objective, yep. something about you. I'm a fire twirling acrobat that really enjoys being with people and has got great attention to detail. Excellent. Then the second line, tell me something about me, the person that you're trying to get a job with. I'm looking for a, um, a high-performing team that, that really focuses on great client outcomes. And I go, yes, we're a high-performing team and we love looking after our clients. Come and work with me, Mel. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so that's kind of my kind of piece, getting that career object, uh, objective right and um, making it easy to contact you. And... Yeah. My number one question is, what do you do for fun? I like that. So put, my, put your interests on the bottom of your CV. Yep. And it, it, that's being real again. It's sort of... Absolutely. Put it on there. If I'm going to interview 60 students a week, I want to have fun. I don't want you to tell me you like reading the financial review. If you're in my <laughs> office and we're working 40 hours a week and you've got nothing to, to do, and we say, how was your weekend? You said, oh, I was just doing more strategies. Oh, oh God. <laughs> no, 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 no. Although there will be some people, perhaps I'm sure we'll be doing that. We spoke about Striver, which is a company that you founded and is about putting placements into businesses, small businesses. Can you tell us a bit more about Striver, how it works um, and how you think it would be beneficial for paraplaning, especially the Paraplaner Hub? So we, we found this business based grad mentoring into Striver now six, six or seven years we found sort of over 400 students or people, great homes, new entrants to the profession. And that's what I talk about. If you're not working and you're looking for an opportunity, then that's what we do. So we, we spend a lot of time with both the strivers, the, the students, I'll call you, and then and businesses, making sure that we understand those businesses and we, we match really well. So we're not a recruitment agent. A recruitment agent will take you and, and three others and put you in front of one business and act on behalf of that business. What we do is we take you and we show you three businesses and we go, okay, which one of these is the right one for you? And so we turn that completely on its head and we act really, we focus, even though it doesn't cost you anything to be a part of our, our, um, our tribe, because businesses pay us and industry pay us and we're really focused on that. Yeah. Um, we actually really focus on making sure we work in, in your best interest. And the reason why we do that is because if we find you a good home and you connect really well with that home and they look after you, you'll stay there. Mm -hmm. And so reverse it's kind of it kind of works better that way so it's really simple we this, the, the platform's all set up you go on your striver.careers you follow us on social media whatever you can just join the tribe you go in there and ask you nine questions and it'll take you a minute and then um you go through that and then we get you for an interview and we come and meet myself or soon to be scott who's also going to be working on some of that but mainly me if you're not in Sydney, it's, it's via Skype. If it's in Sydney, it's face-to-face. -face. And we go through a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about you, your career, and what you're looking for and how it's going to fit. And then we set yourself up a profile on the platform. We start introducing to our firms. We've got um, over 100 firms uh, nationally on the platform at the moment. Really great firms. They've told us a whole bunch of things about themselves. And that allows us to then build that algorithm around three or four really key criteria. This is a shortlist. And then we we match with high alignment and making sure that you find a great place that's sort of right up your alley. And the best thing about it is that we can find sometimes a candidate, two or three homes. We can talk around what's the best thing for them. Yep. And we really focus on that. And 
even if we don't find a home and somebody that's working with us on the platform says, hey, I got offered this job because I met so-and-so and we think it's the right opportunity for them, we'll tell them to go down that track because ultimately that's a better thing for the profession. If it's the right job for the right person and the career opportunities lined up, then go for it, right? And, and we're, yeah. we're not here to stop that from happening. We're about making sure that the, you know, the profession's got a future. And, and do you operate all over Australia? Um, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. good to know. Yeah. We've got businesses in every state now. Um, not Northern Territory. What, Tasmania? Do I have one? I think I might have one in Tasmania. Um, but we're on a pretty strong trajectory at the moment. So we should, we'll have about 360 businesses on the platform by the end of September, 1st of October. Wow. Um, and so we're, at the moment, we're putting, we're putting about six or seven new businesses on the platform a week. So there's plenty of opportunities. We like to work with great people who, you know, and our firms too, right? We've got a really strict criteria around making sure that the firms, you know, want to future-proof themselves, want to stick around and want to, you know, invest money in growing people. And that's, that's one of our mantras as well. So, yeah. And, and, you, and you work in just the financial planning industry, don't you? Yeah, we're yeah. doing a bit of straddling into accounting at the moment. You know, my background's financial planning. The clients I know of financial planning, we have relationships with IWF, Zurich, NetWealth. It's all financial planning. And so um, that's, you know, I grew up as a power planner. And for me, I never really wanted to be an advisor. I loved that power planning role. I kind of ended up getting into management and, and sales and distribution. But finding the right home as a power planner is like, it's such a, it's a great profession. It makes a difference. It's, you know, technically challenging and, you know, it's, it doesn't need to be a stepping stone. It can be a career in itself. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. And are you finding there's a lot of demand for power planning? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to hear. So I get this one and I get this one and the business goes, I want an experienced power planner with three years and blah, 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 blah. And I go, unicorn. <laughs> and um, so there's a lot of demand and, you know, there's things that we can do with people that are really passionate about being in power planning. You know, um, I think we've got some mutual connections that have really good training mm. programs and so forth to get people from straight out of university who won't be in power planning in the business where the business is happy to train and develop those people into getting them writing some strategies quicker. Yep. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking somebody that's never been worked in the financial planning industry who's technically competent and training and developing them to getting them writing simple strategies in a matter of, you know, weeks. And businesses are now thinking about that, about how do we do that properly? And that's the solution we're providing. So we've got loads of opportunities and good people, um, you know, have opportunities and, and get, uh, get out. Because we had a student last week that met us, or not last week, last week they got a job 12 days after they met us. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's unreal. Um, so the a question I also had for you regarding this is, there's a few people in the group, which is the reason why I thought you'd be fantastic to have a podcast with, that really want to be trained, want to get that mentorship, want to get that foot in the door. So if you are one of those people who would be interested in this fantastic program um, with Alistair, I'll put up some information in the hub. I'll put some links that you can click on to get more information about the program and also an email address that you can get more information directly from Alistair and the company. Is there anything else, Alistair, you want to add to that? If you, if you want our help, the best way is just to go to striver.careers and join the tribe. But yeah, like I'm happy for you to reach directly out to me. We've got, you know, follow our social media. That'd be great. Hook me up on LinkedIn. You know, this is a great 
industry, I believe passionately in the future of it. You'd be surprised how many people will, you know, really support you if you ask for their help in an authentic, genuine way. Yeah. And so, yeah, just do that. But yeah, striver.careers, get me on LinkedIn, just follow our social media and you'll have my details, Mel, you can share. Yeah, I'll put your LinkedIn profile on the um, post. So final thoughts. Oh, this is just about, we've had a lot of change, obviously, in the industry. And I just would love to know your thoughts and where we're going to be headed in the future with the financial planning industry. Do you think it's a good change? Yeah, I'll leave it to you. No, you're going to let me finish with a yeah. rant? Yep. <laughs> okay, so, so I've been in, in the industry since 2000. 2000, there you go. Yep. I've seen change, I've seen up and downs, I've seen GSCs, and people will say that all the time. Every time that there's a change or there's an inflection point in any industry, this doesn't just happen in financial planning. Opportunities are created, right? So whatever this place is gonna look like in the next 10 years, change is happening now. People coming into this profession right now will be part of the future of it. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity. Technology is coming in, education standards are coming in, old school thinking is going away. That means there's opportunities. Australians are under advised. Our superannuation system's $3 trillion. I remember when it was $1.2 trillion, you're like, oh, that's going to slowly stop. $3 trillion. <laughs> no. Think about the amount of money. That's the amount of money that needs support and advice. Quality, authentic, protective, supportive advice of everyday Australians. This isn't going away. This needs to be better. The opportunities are here. The demand's here. The career's here. And, you know, the other thing that I say to my clients all the time or any forum I'm given when I'm talking to advisors, I say, let's make sure that we tell people who want to come to this profession that it's a great place to set up a career. We make a difference to Australians every day mm. um, and we can make a jolly good living here too and not shying away from that. Australia is not the cheapest place in the world to live. You can set yourself up in this profession, as a lot of people have, by doing, you know, giving great advice, being part of a great business that's focused on the community and makes a difference. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited. I'm actually excited for the future. I think, it's, yeah, it's going to be some. We're going to see a lot of good innovation coming forth, and I think that's going to be make it very, very interesting and fun to work in. Fun and your listeners fun. are the future of that. Yes, I'm so excited. So listen up, guys. Don't be scared. I know some yeah. of you are scared about this, but I think it's going to be good for us. So that's it. So thanks, Alistair, for the chat. It was very, very interesting. You've got, given us some really great advice and I'd love to know more about Striver. So I'm going to go have a look at the website myself. If you'd like more info about the chat today, I will put some links up on the hub and you can contact myself or LinkedIn, Alistair, and he'll help you for sure. And follow his Striver Facebook. I think that's a yes. tip. I might put that in the post as well. So thank you, Alistair, for coming today and sharing your thoughts. I promise. Um, and thank you everyone for listening and I'll see you in the hub. Thanks. See ya. See ya.